how do you bring more people back to agriculture and have a sound connection with the land and with the animals on the land and the food that is produced on the land? How do you incentivize it? And policy is a big piece of the puzzle. We need to rework the farm bill in a big, big way. The problem with federal farm policy is that our needs here in the southeast are different than farmers' needs in the Midwest or out west. But they've got a one-size-fits-all policy that really doesn't come close to filling anybody's needs. It's better than no support at all, but there's so much that can be improved on. We need to rebuild rural America. We need to redo it from the bottom up. And we want to be at the table with legislators and policymakers. And so when it comes to the farm bill, we need to be the mouse that roared and we need to get in there and say how we want to help better our communities and better our nation. That is an excerpt from our film, Farm Free or Die. And those are the voices of farmers Clay Govier of Nebraska, Matt Griggs of Tennessee, and David Colesrud of South Dakota, talking about the importance of the upcoming U.S. Farm Bill, which allocates billions of U.S. tax dollars every five years for all sorts of agricultural policies, and which they hope will be used to help farmers stay on their land, improve food security, and fight the climate crisis. Welcome to the American Resilience Podcast. I'm Roger Sorkin, director of the American Resilience Project, where we make films designed to influence public policy inspire cultural change, and strengthen civilizational security. Today's conversation was recorded in front of a live audience following a screening of Farm Free or Die at Fordham University's Lincoln Center campus in New York City. Our guests are Suzanne Hunt, the co-owner of Hunt Country Vineyards, her family's seventh-generation farm and 41-year-old winery in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. Suzanne is also Vice President of Policy for Generate Upcycle, which helps develop sustainable infrastructure projects. We're also joined by Nicole Carta, who worked for 10 years at the United Nations International Fund for Agricultural Development in Rome, where she focused on agricultural supply chain sustainability, working with corporations to improve livelihoods for smallholder farmers in developing countries on everything from climate resilience to incomes to crop productivity. Nicole is now an adjunct professor at the Gabelli School of Business at Fordham University. So thank you both. We'll just start off with you, Suzanne. Talk about how regenerative agriculture is a really key method for improving soil health and how improving soil health is one of the best things we can do to fight the climate crisis. Well, first of all, thank you all for coming and being interested in this topic. And thank you for that film. It is just so good. And it hits so many of the key key topics. And um, I think, you know, we, we're at this moment when we're realizing that this kind of conventional, uh, what's become the conventional way of farming and that the farm bill has shaped uh, over the last decades isn't sustainable and it, and it has to shift to a more regenerative model uh, if we're going to have uh, resiliency back in our farm system, um, because the, these farm bill programs have resulted in a landscape that is an agricultural landscape that's quite fragile um, and is susceptible to physical disruption, market disruptions, labor disruptions, all of it. So um, 
to transition and, and to develop our policies so that farmers are able to transition to these to these practices that put more carbon in the soil makes their farms more resilient, which makes our food system more resilient um, and also helps us uh, to mitigate the climate problem. So I think um, there's it's, it's a win-win-win. I think there have been provisions on soil health specifically that have are maybe part of this upcoming farm bill, but have also been just separate uh, pieces of legislation that um, you know, folks that I've talked to in the regenerative agriculture space say, if you're going to focus on one thing, let's start with soil health. Yeah, so I mean, soil health is is foundational, and so I'm so I'm thrilled that people are really focusing on that. I think what we've seen is most people focusing, as many of the farmers in the film did, on carbon. Um, because that is where the most activity is. It's where the willingness to pay is in many of the these for these ecosystem services. Um, but I think we also need to to focus more broadly on um, the farm, the health of the farm system, and and soil health more broadly than just soil carbon, uh, so that we don't have an imbalance in the system. So, for example. Um, you know, you can focus on you know if only focusing on carbon in the soil is a little bit like only focusing on the wheat in your loaf of bread. Uh, you can't really make a loaf of bread with, with just wheat. You need all the other ingredients. You can't have soil health if you only focus on practices that focus on carbon. You have to focus on all the other aspects of a healthy soil ecosystem. So so yeah, soil health is a, a, is, is a better focus than just the carbon piece, for sure. Nicole Carta, you worked for 10 years in the United Nations. You have a very international focus on this. And we're recording this on the one-year anniversary of Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine. And for those of you who've been following that unfolding story, you might have heard something about Ukraine as a grain producer. Ukraine is a very large grain producer. And so we see these ripple effects from the war in Ukraine spreading out from there. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about international food security with regards to the Farm Bill and food aid and how these, these ripple effects from things that we don't think maybe affect us on the other side of the world are actually impacting our own supply chains, our farmers' livelihoods, and our food security at home. Sure. Yeah, no, great, great point. And you're right. Um, this deserves recognition today of this, you know, massive tragedy that has impacted all kinds of different ways of our life, but certainly with our food. So I think we know that our food system is very highly interrelated. And I want to pick up on something that Suzanne mentioned specifically about how this U.S. farm bill, its interconnected networks of, of subsidies, um, has created a food system in the United States that's largely highly subsidized on four or five different crops. And it's corn, wheat, rice, cotton, soybeans. Um, and unfortunately, most of the subsidies that are being paid to farmers are not the farmers that we've met in this beautiful documentary. Thank you very much, Roger, for making this important piece, but larger corporate farms. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is also included in the U.S. Farm Bill is uh, all of the U.S. Food, food aid, international food aid. And it's a very small part of what is largely an $800 billion bill. I think that's the projected five-year spend of the U.S. Farm Bill is about 700 to 800 billion dollars. Arch's part of that is actually for uh, nutrition assistance for Americans who can no longer afford the system that we've created through subsidies. But a small piece um, impacts international farmers as well in two different main ways. One is, as you all know, because you're business students, that when you subsidize um, a production, it usually leads to a cheaper output or a cheaper production method for that particular group that's receiving that subsidy. 
So that subsidy, those subsidized farmers um, have a higher com competition to um, smaller farmers in developing countries that are not receiving a subsidy. So essentially, it's giving the United States some unfair competitive advantage over smaller countries. Um, the second way is what we mentioned earlier, and that's uh, linked to our international food aid. Um, and the United States delivers that in two different ways. One is in-kind, and the other is market-based. In-kind, as you might, as it sounds, is the U.S. government buys from our farmers, ships it abroad to uh, a challenge to a food insecure region, and dumps or places the free food into that market. You can imagine if there is any kind of a viable agricultural system, how that farmer can compete with free, they cannot. So not only, yes, you might solve uh, an acute crisis situation, but you're basically contributing to, um, you know, a longer term decimation of that agricultural system and going to contribute to sort of a, a cyclical or a, a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy of, of continued need for food aid. Second, and here's a bright spot, and we'll hand it back over, is um, we also do market-based programs. So increasingly, the United States government is buying locally or regionally where they can, either through vouchers that they give communities to be able to buy the food if they can't afford it, or for the government to procure it. And that has actually increased in the last 10 years. Our, our market used to just be 10% of food aid. Um, it's now up at 60%. And the in-kind went down, went from 70% to about 30%. So a bit of a bright spot there. You're listening to the American Resilience Podcast from American Resilience Project. I'm Roger Sorkin, the director of the American Resilience Project. Be sure to visit us online at amresproject.org, where you can watch all of our films for free and learn about how you can take action on a number of resilience-related issues, including food security, sea level rise, clean energy, and more. American Resilience Project is a nonprofit. We make all of our films available to watch for free. You can go to our website, amresproject.org, and please consider supporting our work with a tax-deductible donation. the things that happened with COVID and the pandemic, our tribe is really taking it serious now about developing food security in our communities. We have about a thousand acres of organic crops growing um, from corn to wheat to alfalfa, oats. And we even have organic field peas this year. A lot of this stuff was driven by the lack of access to fresh, nutritious foods in Winnebago. And we've gone away from things like this, growing our own food. Now we're getting all these food production into our schools, into our hospitals, into our local food stores, and just getting people to start eating better. On top of that, increasing the physical health, the mental health. I think it's extremely important that a lot of rural communities start to plan longer term for the food security within their communities. Not only is it gonna help give you that reassurance of food, but I think it brings back a sense of community. It brings back a sense of connection to the land that you're around. That is the voice of Aaron LaPointe of Ho-Chunk Farms of the Winnebago tribe of Nebraska in our film, Farm Free or Die, talking about the success their tribe is having through regenerative agriculture. Now let's get back to my conversation with Suzanne Hunt of Hunt Country Vineyards and Nicole Carta of Fordham University, recorded in front of a live audience and sponsored by the Responsible Business Coalition at the Gabelli School of Business at Fordham University's Lincoln Center campus.
there was a lot of talk about carbon being a, a new cash crop. In theory, that sounds great. In practice, that's a, a bit of a, a, a challenge to get there. Can you talk a little bit more about what ecosystem services are or what they can be and how we might work incentives into the farm bill to allow more farmers to do that? And I should say, you know, we've got a room full of business students. What kind of business opportunities might there be for people who don't necessarily think they, they're going to go up and be farmers, but may want to work in the agricultural business space? Sure. Yeah. Well, let me just start with the carbon markets because they are developing and it's a big focus in the film. And what I would say is, is I would echo what one of the farmers said, which is, you know, not my first reaction isn't to say the government should get involved and run a market. However, um, because we're in the Wild West phase with these carbon markets right now, especially for soil carbon, um, you really need a sheriff to come in and lay down the rules of the road and enforce them. So we really do need the government to play a role in policing these carbon markets so that the farmers actually get the benefit and, and get the lion's share of the money. Because many of the companies that are getting started in the space right now are setting themselves up as the middlemen. And it's just history repeating itself where the farmers get like the peanuts and the middlemen take the lion's share of the resources. So um, so I think that that's an, a critical outcome that that hopefully your advocacy in this film can, can drive towards is, um, is the farm bill setting some rules to the road for carbon markets related to agriculture. Um, but um, a healthy farm agroecosystem provides all kinds of ecosystem services. Um, so sequestering or storing uh, and, and storing carbon is one of them. Um, biodiversity preservation is another one of them. I, my family has a small farm in the Finger Lakes in New York, and we have all kinds of wildlife. Um, you know, many of the farms across uh, this part of the country are um, have most of them have some forest on them, so it's not just fields. Uh, our farms a quarter, about a third vineyards, about a third forests, and about a third hay fields and and, and other fields. Um, and so there's biodiversity. There's also um, benefits to uh, storm mitigation. So we've been focusing on adding soil carbon to our farm for a long time. My parents and my brother have been doing a lot with compost and and um, and mulch and all kinds of things. And so when we get these inc incredible downpours that we've been getting, uh, we don't have a lot of runoff. Our parking lot is the only part of the farm that has a lot of runoff because our soil is so rich in organic matter, it acts like a sponge. So um, the more we have farms farming regeneratively, rebuilding the soil carbon, um, you have much less uh, flood damage. So you've got flood mitigation, um, you, all kinds of, there's just, there's a whole whole array of ecosystem services that, that, a healthy, that healthy farms provide. And so the farm bill, instead of subsidizing commodity crop production, um, which drives farmers to make decisions about crops to plant that are based on a government pro policy instead of what's good for their farm and what's good for people. Um, and that is that is one of the fundamental changes that we need. So not only do we need to, to reorient these policies to, to um, provide payments for ecosystem services, we need to reorient them so that farmers can can choose a much more complex mix of crops that are much better for their for their soil um, and reduce the amount of chemical and, and, and external inputs that are needed. So sometimes I feel like making these films is the easy part. The hard part is getting people to actually do something after they watch the film. And Nicole, I'd like to ask, what, what advice, what guidance might you give anyone who's listening to this on, on how they can help make sure that we have the kind of food system in place that is 
reflected in the upcoming farm bill? Yeah, that's a great question, an important one. And I'll leave it, I think, to Suzanne to talk a little bit about the policy actions you might take. But I think on a local level, just educate yourself about the food that you're eating. I mean, we can have a whole another film and another hour discussion about food waste, but we know that it's a massive issue. It's a huge contributor, as we heard, um, to, to climate. But, you know, become aware of the products that you're buying. You know, where, look at, think about things like food miles, right? Which is you're buying fruits and vegetables in the grocery store a block from here. But is it strawberry season? Probably not, you know? So try and make some personal changes you can in your life to eat seasonally. Um, go upstate, meet some farmers, talk to some farmers, drink some wine, find out how, how challenging it can be. I mean, if any of you have tried to grow a house plant, I don't know about you all, but it's very <laughs> difficult. Imagine trying to produce um, for consumption. Um, use your local green market, compost, you know, make, make it an effort and a priority in your life. I think you want to listen to that? Yeah, I would say. Um, I mean, specifically on the policy side, what, what can you say, you know, when we talk about I think it's easy to be cynical about the political process and the policymaking process. And, uh, you know, we see all this money in politics. It's just the average citizen doesn't necessarily feel that they have a, a way to be influential. We were talking earlier about the fact that people in Congress, they still take note of how often their phone rings. Absolutely. It's amazing how few people actually call their representatives and government and share their share their thoughts. And, and, you know, money in government is an absolutely critical issue and it needs to be dealt with and it's, it's a huge problem. Um, but, but all of these government representatives that elected officials have to get reelected. They need the votes. And so when constituents call or write their offices, they really take note. Um, so I would say everyone, if you do anything in 2023, like figure out who your representative is locally. There's the local assembly and Senate, and then there's also, but especially for the farm bill, your national representatives, figure out who your congressperson is and who your senators are and take five minutes to call each of their offices and tell them that this is important or whatever you think is important. Um, and once you've done it once, it is so easy. It takes five minutes, if that. And you can have some really interesting conversations with the staff people that pick up the mm -hmm. phone. Sometimes they'll just say, tell me your zip code, where do you live? And it'll be quick. And then sometimes you get into really interesting, thoughtful conversations. Um, and if you're ever in Washington, make an appointment to see to stop in and meet the staff people in, the, in your representative's office is incredibly impactful. You'd be surprised um, because so everyone's cynical and no one does it. So when you do, it's really it's quite powerful, actually. You've been listening to a panel discussion following a recent screening of our film, Farm Free or Die on prioritizing regenerative agriculture in the 2023 U.S. Farm Bill. Our guests have been Suzanne Hunt of Hunt Country Vineyards and Vice President of Generate Upcycle, and Nicole Carta, Adjunct Professor at the Gabelli School of Business at Fordham University and formerly a Senior Officer at the United Nations Fund for Agricultural Development. Special thanks to Business School Dean Lerzon Aksoy, Liz Osler, Ali Callaghan, and the Responsible Business Coalition at the Gabelli School for hosting our screening and inviting American Resilience Project to be part of the Fordham University curriculum and community. Be sure to visit us online at amresproject.org, that's A-M-R-E-S project.org, 
where you can sign up for our mailing list. You can watch all of our films for free and learn more about getting involved in a number of different issues from the energy transition to coastal resilience to food security. This program is available on all major podcast platforms, and please do leave us a review. Today's show was produced by American Resilience Project with editing help from Joseph Skinner and music by the great John Cabon. For all of us at American Resilience Project, thank you for listening and supporting us because civilization deserves a fighting chance.